missed his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora, Pirlo, di tacco, tiro, What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew, Santo, and Joe coming at you as always. I think we might change our name to the VARcast. Yeah, just Var- especially the VARcast. The VARcast. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some more ratings on it because this is going to be a heavily VAR-related podcast. Uh, we were talking about it off-air already. I don't know if the people want to hear it or don't want to hear it, if they're sick and tired of it, but it's going to be a heavily debated topic in Premier League for when it was introduced a couple years ago until eternity until it's either taken out of the sport or we're just kind of finally used to it. But, I mean, it's just countless times again and again where VAR comes into play. They affect the outcomes of matches. We're watching We're watching the games from home. Everyone's watching the games from home overseas. You're in the stadium. You see it, like, night and day on the screen, and then the, the call still goes the other way. So we're just left here, like, flabbergasted. Uh, there's three separate instances at least this week, maybe even four counting the Man U Arsenal game we'll get into later. But right off the top, like right off the you know the beginning of the podcast, guys, like what do you think VAR has to do differently, or like does there changes have to be made when it comes to VAR, or do the referees have to have less or more uh, well, yeah. decisions? Like how is it going to be fixed? Sats going to go first. Yeah, I think um, Joe's, Joe's locked on the right now. <laughs> Dude. I think I'm going to hop in here just because I think Joe's got uh, a lot to say. Uh, so I'll get my two cents in quick here. Um, no, I think, and with this episode, the fact that we're going to focus so much on VAR, I think is going to speak to why there's going to be changes uh, coming to VAR uh, with some announcements that have been made um, because uh, with uh, all the decisions that have been happening, uh, again, we we try not to be, be just solely focused on VAR. Um, talk about the actual footy that's going on. I think that's why we're all uh, here in the first place. But there's been a lot of talking points with VAR and a lot of changes coming, which I think are going to help the game, which is going to be good. Um, because like Alan Shearer said, you know, the purpose of VAR was to have maximum impact, um, but as little disturbance as possible on the game and to make as much difference as possible. And really it's doing the opposite where it is affecting so much of the game. And it's the limelight one that was supposed to be uh, exactly what they were trying to avoid. But yeah, I think with the coming changes, um, just to touch on it quickly with Howard Webb um, being appointed as a new head of refereeing uh, coming in uh, in November when his contract is up with the MLS to uh, uh, take uh, Mike Riley's position as he's stepping down. Um, I think, well, we hope that that's going to make some big changes with VAR. Um, and just the perception that people have of it and the decision-making uh, because he's had a lot of success in the MLS and now the Premier League scooped him up. You know, obviously, long time. It's been seven years since he's been back in the Premier League in some shape, 
form or fashion, but obviously had a lot of experience refereeing games, and now he's back. So hopefully that uh, clears uh, clears some things up because they have to make some change because <laughs> it feels like it's getting bigger and bigger decisions wrong, and they're impacting more and more games, which is what uh, fans didn't want to happen. Yeah, and but Joe, before you go, when we used to talk about VAR, even like last season for the podcast, like our first podcast, the first season that we had our podcast on the air, it was like once in a while, like VAR yeah. would make something happen. Like it was like once every couple of weeks, yeah. it would be a slight decision, like in one game. There was four times on Saturday and Sunday in this one weekend of footy where it directly changed the outcomes of the game. Yeah, they happened yeah. at different points in the match. They have, some happened in the beginning in the first half, towards the end, second half, some in the 90th minute. And it's it's so hard it, it it's it's, hard, it's disheartening it's it's terrible because as a fan and as like an actual like player of the sport obviously we're at a low level so we don't have var in like the leagues that we play in mm-hmm. we just take what happens on the pitch for what it is and that's kind of not like all we have to deal with yeah like we might be upset the referee for like his one bad decision but i mean you can't reverse it you can't review it in our game in this one it gets reviewed it gets broken down. There's three guys look, looking at a screen. There's a referee that makes the call on the field. There's time that goes by. The fans are waiting to celebrate after goals are scored now, which are just it's just brutal. Yeah. And it's happening so much more often than what it used to, and they're still going wrong. Yeah. It sucks. And I think that's that's the frustrating thing about this week in particular is that both times the ref went to the monitor and overturned his decision and both times he was wrong. And it's kind of true. I was listening to some, cause I tried to get in as much information. So I'm not like biased in what I'm about to say, but it is true. I don't think it's the referee's fault. It's really the way VARs run, which hopefully that's what how rep changes because I guess, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what they've said. When they call the ref to the monitor, they're doing it because they're insinuating that you've made a clear and obvious error from the call you made on the pitch. So they're going to the monitor and they're already thinking, it's like, oh, I must have missed something because they're telling me I made a clear and obvious error, which is what they're supposed to do when they go to the monitor, which is why 99% of the time it gets overturned when they go to the monitor. I think what has to change there is that the ref should be going to the monitor just from an indicator that you you might have missed something on the pitch, but not from a place of you probably missed something. Because both these calls, with we'll get into them in a sec, with Mendy and Crystal Palace... I think that's what's frustrating with most fans is we're all looking at it and we're like, it's clearly still should the call in the field should still stay and it's not like clear and obvious. But the referee got a call from whoever from not even at the park somewhere where they're not even in the atmosphere of the game, which could clearly influence the ref mm-hmm. saying how like, oh, you should go check. I think you made a clear and obvious error. So they're going trying to find like where their error is and that's why they get overturned. So I think that's a lot of what has to change because if we can get into these and like you talk about the Chelsea, Chelsea West Ham, it's like, like that's, <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into like the logistics of that one yet, but I, I think I'll, that's, I'll dive fun- right in. I don't care. That's fundamentally what's wrong with VAR. Um, Cause like even with the Mendy thing, like in real time, you know, how many times does a goalie come out, grab the ball and completely wipe out a striker it's not a foul on the striker ever. Mm-mm. It's the really the only thing I've seen being checked in that instance is did the goalie get a touch on the ball? Because if they didn't, it's a foul on the goalie. Yeah. So the fact the ref goes like, oh, there's contact. It's like, and I, and what Santos said, I guess now they're gonna have to explain why they would overturn those decisions, and you know, hopefully that fixing. Because if a ref goes to this instance and be and his 
uh, justification for overturning that is like, oh, I think Bowen intentionally left a dangling leg to injure Mendy. If that's the explanation you have to give, I don't think that's going to be a good enough explanation. Because like you see here, like, yeah, he comes out, gets the ball. It's like, what's what frustrates me here is like, if Mendy misses the ball, that's probably a foul on him on Bowen. My thing is too, if Mendy would have caught the ball, and then Bowen like dragged his foot and like made ben- made Mendy lose like, control of the ball, yeah. then maybe there's more of an argument. That's yeah, a foul. Maybe but Mendy, Mendy parried it away, so now he's like just like he's defenseless. He is like, a defenseless player because he parried the ball away and then he just kind of like laid there. Yeah. But Bowen didn't step on him. He yeah. didn't stomp on him. He didn't intentionally like have an intent to hurt him. Like why would he in this situation? Like that. Yeah. Like, that Bowen mm-hmm. doing that does not benefit West Ham at all. I mean, right. My whole thing is like if your justification for that, for it being a foul, is you think Bowen left a little bit on Mendy to try and hurt him. That's not good enough because if you're going to VAR to overturn your call on the field, you need to have a good enough reason. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you can safely say that. Like, sorry, we're just looking at it. I'm trying to wrap my I, head around. It's for me. Um, the the thing that's a little concerning is that the precedent that this is saying, because now you're almost saying to any goalie, like if you come out and you get any contact on the ball whatsoever, and you know you don't make a good enough effort to actually clear it properly, and it goes to another team and they score off it, if there's any sort of contact on you, now you're saying all of a sudden it's going to be a foul. Yeah. So you're given almost like a free a get out of jail free card for goalies. Be like. All you have to do now is come out and make contact with the ball. Don't even care where it goes, really, even if it drops to another player. If there's contact on you, which Michael Owen said it perfectly, it's absolutely inevitable there's going to be contact in a situation like that. Forwards running full speed at the goalie. Goalie's coming right out to the striker, going down to make contact with the ball where the striker's trying to get to. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be some sort of contact. And now you're saying if there's contact, it's going to be a foul. So now the the ball can go anywhere. It doesn't matter where the ball drops. So it's it's really bad for the precedent it's setting because now if a goalie comes out, barely parries it away, goes to another striker, and he scores, teams are going to start asking, well, there's contact on the goalie. Why was it in a foul? And like since the dawn of time, the goalies have always been really well protected. At the yeah. same time, like corner yeah. kicks you see a million times where the goalie gets slightly interfered with, he drops, ball goes in, the referee calls a foul on, on the striker or the attacker. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't want to have another excuse for goalies to get more benefit in the doubt. Yeah, being a striker like me, like yeah, like come like you can't even touch him now. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's I like, mean you got to know the risk coming at. Like sure, granted, there's sometimes players might leave a little bit on you, but as a goalie, you're coming out and you're basically putting your whole body on the line because like that's what you're doing as a goalie. Mm-hmm. And I come back to my point, like anytime there's a striker, and really, if you think about it, every time a striker goes, if he gets the ball first, most strikers leave their leg trailing to get hit by the goalie to go down and get a PK. So is that a foul on the goalie now? Well, in this case, it wouldn't have been because I think Mendy technically like won the ball first. Yeah. Like, so and Bowen (laughs) didn't go down either. Like, I don't know. Bowen's an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) But. I don't. I don't know. Like I said, as a, as a Chelsea fan, this clearly would have changed the the whole landscape of the game because it was the 90th minute, and West Ham ended up scoring off that play. Cornet put like a dirty finish into the top mm-hmm. corner to make it two two. Like right after Chelsea scored the uh, the goal from Chilwell to take the lead, 
from from my standpoint, like right away, I was like, oh shit, like this, like there's a goal clearly. And they go to the VAR tra- uh, VAR check, and I was like, he he didn't foul him. Like I was yeah. gear- like I was mentally preparing myself to be like, okay, here's another game. We're gonna drop points. We're gonna draw this one two two. Like we just fucking scored to take the lead. I'm gonna get bounced back and score it on again. Then they overturn it. I was just like. I'm like boys, like that's not. It. Like, <laughs> that's we not we good. escaped from one, and and I like Chelsea had we've had our fair share this year of go, of calls go against us. I think. Um, what, what game was it? The uh, Tottenham game. The Tottenham game, yeah. So going back to that, and like even I think they played like Everton first game of the season. There was a couple of calls that were a little questionable, and as me being Chelsea biased, yeah, I get it. But this is the one time so far this season where it's actually gone Chelsea's way, but it should not have. <laughs> Like there's mm-hmm. there's no way in hell. I'm like this is like okay. This I already saw the Newcastle error earlier in the day, um, and then this happens. I'm like okay, this is gonna be the biggest like bar weekend ever. <laughs> yeah. Lo and behold, it it most likely will be. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Uh, I think Chelsea we can, won. Chelsea won two to one. <laughs> Chelsea Chelsea won the game two to one. I think. Uh, you know, everyone was saying after the game, Tuchel, obviously saying it was a clear foul. No, oh, of course. Um, you know, I think if the call would have went, I can't. I can only speculate, but I feel like if he was on the receiving end of this, he would have been just as upset as David Moyes was, who is very, very upset at the call, understandably so. Moyes is calling it like a, a scandal, S- scandalous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so again, um, all we can do is hope Howard Webb uh, kind of fixes those issues. But then we had the other issue with the Newcastle uh, Crystal Palace game uh, when, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. I don't know if you want to pull it up, uh, just so we can see the replay on yeah, our Yeah, I'll try and find it. Uh, but uh, ball comes in. Uh, I, I forget who it was on Newcastle. Uh, gets uh, pushed into the goalie. Joe, Joe Willick. Uh, gets pushed into the goalie um, on well, a cross coming in. Uh, he gets pushed. A Crystal Palace player pushes yeah. Joe Willick, yeah. who's on Newcastle, into the Crystal Palace goalie. Right. Yes. So Newcastle's off. Yeah, Newcastle swinging in across uh, into the Crystal Palace box. Crystal Palace defender comes in, pushes Joe Willick into the Crystal Palace goalie, and then a foul, and then uh, the ball gets ricocheted in off a Crystal Palace player to be an own goal. Uh, call gets pulled back for a foul on Newcastle um, oh on the goalie, which... For me, this this is a, a worse situation than the uh, the Mendy because this Joe Willick can literally do not, can't do anything in this situation. Gets pushed in the back into the goal and a foul gets called on him. Yeah, we're replaying. I the, don't think the the play right now. It's kind of hard to see from the angle. Um, yeah, I don't think yeah. either of them even touch it. So yeah, header across. Um, gets pushed in. And if I, if this was me and Andrew, I'm sure if it was you as a striker going in and getting pushed in the back and then the foul call, you you feel very hard done by. Oh, he's defenseless. Um, yeah, yeah, you can't do anything. Um, so this, I don't, I don't know how VAR was sitting in the booth saying, you know, you got to come look at this when everyone who's looking at it can clearly see a push. Yeah, on his back into the goalie. Yeah. So again. It boils down to, you know, yeah. if they, if VAR wasn't a thing so and this happened in real time, it'd still be really frustrating. But what makes it more frustrating is the fact that they're reviewing this frame by frame and you you can clearly see the pull or the push into the goalie. That's yeah. what I'm glad you said because the whole thing with VAR is that they get every camera angle possible to their, you know, disposal. Yeah, to the disposal to, like, to see their view, slow it down frame by frame. 
it is so clear and obvious. And <laughs> that he gets pushed. And in both cases, <laughs> in the Chelsea match and this match here, well, wasn't I safe? In the Chelsea match and this match, the referee on the pitch actually made the right call. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, are they doing that because they have VAR in their back pocket? They could be. I think a lot of it is where they let the big things like that yeah. go. Like they have, they have, yeah. like if, if they do make the mistake of like letting the play go on or whatever it yeah. is, they have VAR there to correct them. So it's better that they let it happen as the game unfolds because it looks yeah. good on them if that's how they play it. They yeah. hold a good, good choice by the referee. If yeah. not, VAR says, hey, you might have missed this. Yeah. Which but in is, both cases, they had the right call. And then VAR is when it says, no, you're yeah. like Again, that's what I, this is what blows my mind. The referee seeing it in real time on the pitch. If he doesn't see it in real time, mispositioning, or he does see it in real time, and he says, no, that's a good goal. Like, this happened, this happened, fine. Yeah. Because I, like we can't, it's unfortunate that we can't hear the conversations that go on between the VAR officials and the referee, like the match officials, yeah. which I would love to have that back and forth, that we could actually hear that. Because I doubt there's many times where the match official will go to the monitor, look at it, and then have like an argument or have like a debate with the VAR guy. Yeah. Usually the VAR, the VAR official will just be like, okay, yeah, you probably missed that. Go take a look at it. Yeah. Oh, fuck, okay. Yeah. It was back. Which is what I was... And that goes... We'll get into the Man City game afterwards, but like that's why they're supposed to wait, like especially with the offside. Um, but like they're supposed to wait in, in case a goal does have something, go back and check. But like to your point, um, the reason a lot of them are overturning it, and that's what's so frustrating about both these, is the call on the field gets overturned probably because... They get called over like, oh, you missed something clear and obvious. It's like, what I miss? Like, I got to go check and find out what I missed, whatever it is. But w- with this, <laughs> he didn't miss it. I know. And that's why it should be. They, oh, like, can you just go over and double check that you didn't miss anything? Yeah. It's like, like, it's like I, we saw that there was a push. He's like, did you see that too? Yeah, I saw there was a push. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but they're like, no, know. you missed. Like, what is it? What is he saying he missed? Yeah, and that's why he's you missed going over him there. not like, getting pushed when he yeah. did get pushed. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and I heard Howard or not Howard Webb, Mark Clattenburg. Really, in this situation, the correct call actually was supposed to be a PK to Newcastle. I guess if he went to VAR and saw the angles properly, because I guess what Mark Clattenburg said, the Newcastle guy gets pushed. And then he fouls the goalie. It's still technically a foul because he still runs into the goalie. And you, I guess in that scenario, you can't call advantage if there's ever a foul on the goalie. So it should have been called back as an as a Newcastle PK because it was a push on first. I guess that's like the te- technically what should have happened. So there was like two fouls. Yeah. You call the first foul. Yeah, you're supposed to call you're supposed to call the first foul, which is what you should have done. But what's frustrating, what Mark was saying is like he wasn't really when he went to VAR. It was showing the push, but it wasn't focusing on the push from the Newcastle guy, or from the Crystal Palace guy on the Newcastle player. It kept showing the collision between Newcastle and the keeper. So the ref's like, what? So like, it showed the push, but like, it kept freezing the frame like with the contact on the, which is, I guess, I don't know if that's true, but like, that's what it was showing on the replay. But we know that happened. Yeah, we we know there's contact with the goalie. That's why the ball went in the net. Yeah, so the contact was created odd. because. Yeah. Because uh, the 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 attacker was pushed in yeah. by the defender, yeah. like that's that's what you're checking. Will it? Yeah, Joe, like Newcastle guy, Crystal Palace guy, uh, Tyreek Mitchell pushed Joe Willick into Gaeta, Gaeta, the goalie for for Palace. Yeah, that's that's again, it's just so cut and dry, and we're just looking at home, we're watching the game unfold, just like everyone else is, and we are like, this is fucked up. And then what blows my mind the most, or what upsets me the most, is that, again, what happened this week, which would happen earlier in the Chelsea-Tottenham game, 
They come back on Monday. They, you know, they do their due diligence. They look at the reviews again. And, you know, the head of the match officiating <laughs> crew come out and say, we missed the game against Chelsea and West Ham, and we missed the call against Newcastle and Crystal Palace. Like, we fucked up. It should have been this. The ga- the goals both should have counted. We're sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, We're sorry. That's, that is the biggest slap in the face to any fan yeah. base out there because... Again, both goals were awarded goals on the pitch. Right. Yeah. So they're saying that the referee actually did the right thing. The referee actually did a fantastic standout job. The VAR guys who were not even had a a career, didn't even have a job title three or four seasons ago, are the ones that are screwing things up. So do we have to just get rid of VAR? Like, do we have? Like, can we just get rid of VAR? Because we we've watched the game. The Premier League's been around since since 1992. Mm-hmm. Footy's been around since. 1722. Yeah. So, and we never had VAR up until 2018, yeah. 2019, whatever it was. And we were totally fine with before. We get it. There's some things that the referee misses. There's there's errors here and there. But I'd almost rather have a split decision error in the match by one guy than yeah. a broken down frame by frame, like forensic debate with some guy behind a computer screen that makes a final call, which ends up being wrong anyways. Honestly, if I, I would give my two cents on that. Go ahead, Joe. Talk Obviously, podcast. Keep, the fuck <laughs> <you> <laughs> Obviously, keep goal line technology. It seems they actually fixed offside this year, which is good. So they should keep that. I don't know if you heard oh, what the change about offside. offside. Um, I guess now with offside, like because before it was like the toenail offside, yeah, and all that, <laughs> which on a on a mathematical level is wrong because your your um confidence interval of plus minus how much a player moves versus when you actually pause the screen is probably yeah, bigger I already said that before, than that. Yeah. So now what they did, they made the lines thicker. And if the lines overlap with the defender, then the, the uh, benefit of the doubt goes to the attacking player, which is fine. So it's probably accounting for that change of frame speed that could happen between when the ball's kicked. So that probably fixed most of the issues with the offside. So I'd keep goal line technology. I would keep offside. I would keep violent conduct for red cards. I would scrap until they figured out these calling back goals for fouls because they cannot discern um, like what's a foul versus overturning stuff because stuff is debatable. They cannot discern what's actually a foul versus what's debatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's causing way too much drama. So they have to probably scrap that until they figure it out because it's yeah. 40, like there's well, how many issues right now with this? Yeah, I think the ref, the and like I said before, with the with the Ericsson thing that we'll get into in a while, there was quite a few fouls in the Liverpool Everton game that were way worse than that that did not get called just because of the way the game was going. Mm-hmm. So if you take an isolated incident and try and break it down and look at every single possible way there could have been contact, you're probably going to find it, but you're not really. Uh, getting the sense of what the re- referee is feeling on the pitch, which honestly most of the time is pretty accurate. So until they can figure that out, I think that's what should be scrapped from VAR. The only yeah. thing with the Odegaard foul is that it did lead to a goal. Like in the, in Liverpool, in the, Mer- in the Merseyside derby between Liverpool and Everton, that's just like a hard-fought derby match. Like we know how it's yeah. going to be. That's really a tight refereeing job because it's like you have to have some leniency, obviously. Yeah. Because if you start giving fouls and cards like left and right, like at the first... 10 minutes of the game yeah it's gonna be just like a shit show of a match yeah so you have to kind of go with like the ebbs and flows of like how the game's playing out especially in a derby like with that magnitude which i'm not saying that derby between man U and, and arsenal is nothing but 
I don't know. It's the first ten minutes of the game. The Odegaard gets the foul. They come back and score. It is it is tough. Obviously, again, it was another played on game. Yeah. Uh, played on uh, play. They allowed. Um, they allowed Martinelli. Yeah. Oh no, they allowed. Odegaard. Uh, yeah, play on. Whatever yeah. possession advantage. They, advantage. Thank you, Joe. The loud advantage. I was just sitting duck there. Santi's just looking at. Uh... <laughs> I'm looking at uh, the Fulham handball. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, um... Fulham handball. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just it, it's so sad. Again, it's a disheartening thing. And I was looking at a quote right here from Alan Shearer, who was obviously extremely fed up with his Newcastle boys uh, end up drawing that match. But he says that Lee Mason is the one to blame because he, because it is, it is an inexperienced referee at this level. You have got to get that decision right. He has had no help from VAR, far too many errors. VAR is not the problem. It is the people who are running it. That is actually a pretty harsh quote. I love yeah. it, though, because British pundits say whatever the fuck they want to say, Yeah, which I, I love that. They're, like Roy Keane is such a dirty bastard, but he'll say whatever he wants to say on, on, on the broadcast. Um, Gary Neville, too, he's obviously very critical of Man U. Week in, week out, and he kind of says whatever he wants to say about them, too. But I feel like they don't get as penalized to say things that actually might be controversial. Whereas in like North American sports, you have to be so PR, you have to be so like cliche with all the things that you say. Shearer's coming out and saying this as a Newcastle legend, as a fan of like the team, saying like, "Yeah, we're getting hard done by. This sucks." Yeah. Like, and I think I think it is a good thing what he's saying here. VAR. I, I don't want to take back what I said. VAR has benefited substantially, like since it's come in, but it is still like a newly run institutional thing. But the people who are behind the scenes, like calling the shots, that does seem to be the issue. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's like a changing of the guard where like new officials have to get out, of, like get out of here. We know Mike Dean, fucking Mike Dean. He's not an actual official anymore, but he's like he's a VAR official still somehow, and he mm-hmm. still ends up fucking Chelsea over uh, when he can. But like he's retiring like last year. Um, Paul Tierney's getting up there in age now a little bit more, but like Martin Oliver is like, or sorry, Michael Oliver is like the you know like the new. Hot yeah. shot, I guess, for, for England uh, uh, football. He seems to be doing a pretty good job with things. But it's just like, I wonder if it's just, if it has to be like, yeah, the older heads got to get out of there. The newer guys got to come in. And, I mean, we obviously can't make that happen. It has to be like, yeah, just it just has to happen um, like naturally. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's just so tough because, again, it's people who have no stake in the game. The referee's out there running around with the players for 90-plus minutes alongside them. And it comes to a guy in a booth. Yeah, who was just like sipping the tea at like three o'clock in the afternoon, like enjoying his day, and then he has to make a call, like yeah. And it, it's I've had this conversation with my dad so many times. Every referee's interpretation of the rules is different. I don't care what anyone says. The rules can be written in black and white, you know, section A, paragraph three. There's the rule of what it, we have to like what it is. My interpretation could be different. Santos' interpretation could be different. Joe's interpretation could be different than mine. Probably same as Santos. They're twins, but. It's 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 all it's all different yeah. how you how you interpret the rule and how it actually plays out in the game. It's it's not just like so cut and dry like we want it to be. It is based on situational like things. Yeah, and yeah. so it, it's a flawed system. Yeah, and I think Alan Shearer probably said it right. Like I've I've always been a huge fan of VAR uh, for just the things that wouldn't get missed. But it feels like the things that aren't supposed to get missed are, and things are getting overturned when they shouldn't be, which I think is the big thing. Um, because you know, going to the city game, the offside with Coutinho, those are things that VAR is supposed to catch and allow to be goals. Yes, I mean he the the play was developing, 
uh, he was just sitting onside. Uh, Cross came in. Uh, he didn't get the ball at that point, but then he came back and collected the ball and then turned and uh, rifled one. The the whistle whistle blew, uh, but he he finished. Uh, but the linesman raised his flag for offside, thinking that he did over and back and came back from an offside position. Uh, looking back at the replay, he was clearly not offside. Um, so that was the thing. That's that was the hope that uh, VAR would catch those things and allow what uh, what actually happens in the game if it's legal to actually stand, uh, not have these missed calls. Um, but it's not happening, which I think is what's the most frustrating thing. So. Um, I think more things would get missed, obviously, if we didn't have VAR. But if you have this technology, I think you have to start getting like these big things uh, correct. Because the whole thing about just making sure you don't miss clear and obvious errors is getting really blurred to where they're calling it back for really debatable calls, which I think is hurting them more than anything. Yeah. Like, if it's not cut and dry, then there's no reason to go to VAR, which you know, the rule state is it's only supposed to be there for clear and obvious fouls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good on Aston Villa for holding that game to a one, one draw. I mean, it, like I said, it could have won. I mean, maybe, um, yeah. Ederson, Ederson maybe yeah. would have made a decent effort. It did, it did go bar down. So he probably wasn't getting there anyway, <laughs> to be honest. Um, everyone did stop though. But like I said, like, yeah, you're looking at this replay. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing. Like you're, like yeah. yeah, he's he's probably like half a foot onside. Like no no debate whatsoever. Um, and that's the whole thing. You, the ref blew the whistle. Yeah, he went and finished. No one closed him down because the whistle blew. It's just it just ruined the play. So um, <laughs> yeah, you can say he scored. Everyone did stop. It's just one of those uh, kind of crappy situations where yeah, the play got stopped for yeah, yeah just for like no reason. So he's, he's onside. Ball gets passed clearly it's, onside. Goes. Linesman raises his flag now. Ref blows a whistle. So then, look, everyone stops and he goes and finishes. I mean, Stones Stones, and uh, who else is there? Uh, I think that's... Diaz? Diaz. I mean, they would have went and closed Coutinho, so he would have had pressure. He had he heard the whistle blow, too, so he knew that his shot didn't matter, which probably made it better. I mean... But that finish is nice. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I mean, still a nice you, finish. The thing is, you look at Mares and he sees the ref blow the whistle, so he stops trying to close Coutinho. Um, yeah. So it's it's just a this is the, this is the second least controversial because like yeah you see Mara's going and then he just stops and then he goes and shoots yeah. but still like you're not supposed to <laughs> not supposed to do that yeah and, like, the, uh, if the linesman did delay his flag like slightly like it wasn't like it wasn't like, instantaneous as yeah. soon as Katina got possession of the ball he didn't raise the flag so he did delay a little bit but again it's just the stipulation of the rule where because the whistle was blown and the play is officially dead so whatever carries on after the whistle can't be VAR checked. Right. Yeah. So they, even though they did miss an offside or an onside, they can't check that because the, the, the whistle. Blew. Yeah. So it's, yeah. again, I don't I, know if it's a flawed system. I don't know if it's like, but that's the thing. They have to let the play go. Right. And that's the yeah, thing. The obvious so, thing would, because I mean, we've seen yeah. it before where it's like a, a through ball comes through and it might be offside, but they play like 15 seconds. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, they played on like two seconds in this, in this case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird. Um. Yeah, and that, again, these three these three var uh, examples that we just discussed. Ninetieth minute game tying goal. Uh, I forget what minute the Newcastle one was, but it was nil nil at that point. The game finished nil nil, but that was to put Newcastle up one nothing. And 
this game here, it would have gave Aston Villa the two one lead with ten minutes, uh, ten minutes of the play in the game in the match. Yeah. So again, yeah. it's it's three calls that aren't just in the first ten minutes of the game where oh yeah, like this is kind of like not meaningless, but like not that bad. These are three impactful, huge results that go the wrong way. Yeah. Of of one team and you know one one team's like failures and other teams success kind of thing whatever you want to say like Chelsea got away from, like scot free mm-hmm. uh New City I mean they almost got their first loss of the season if this goal would have counted and Newcastle would have been rolling again and getting another win and they probably would have been like top 5 yeah if they if that goal would have um yeah, stood they would right? have probably been they would have been sitting tied for they would have been tied for 6 uh tied for 7 oh tied for 7 yeah cuz they got yeah um yeah so yeah, just changes the table, right? Especially this early in the season. Um, Chelsea would have ten points. Um, so yeah. it's well, Chelsea would have tied, so they would have, yeah. they would have had eight. eight points. Oh yeah. yeah, so they so yeah they'd be tied for sixth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, hopefully Howard Webb can come in here um, and change things up for for all this uh, because it's it's not great for the game where the talking point is always VAR every every week. Uh, you want to be talking about footy, not about the refs. Mm-hmm. Uh, That'll never change, though. Yeah, <laughs> let's be serious. No, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but like to to have these big of controversial calls when you have VAR is what. Yeah, because if a ref misses a decision on the field, it's like you're frustrated, but it's like you know he might not have seen it. The fact that what makes VAR so frustrating is like like Andrew said, everyone's looking at the screen and you're like. You're seeing the push on the Newcastle guy, <laughs> and he's like, "Nope." It's like, "What is happening?" It was the most you can't understand like what the logic is behind it. It was the most blatant forearm extension I've ever seen in my life, like right into his back. Yeah, yeah. like from like like Mitchell's arm started in his chest and then ended in Willock's back. Yeah, like after a full extension. Yeah, like he got he got propelled into the keeper. Yeah, like he literally got off it. Like he was going for the header, so that's the one thing. And there's nothing against Willick there. He went hard to the net. Like he went to go win a header. Yeah. The ball was there for him. He probably would have won the header if he wasn't pushed. But his momentum was propelling him like to like, you know, lunge up for a head ball. But then when that forearm came through his back, he just lost complete control of his body. Yeah. Which again, not against him. And right into the keeper. And it's like what yeah. do you like you're you're motionless in the air. Like you have like you're you can't do anything. You're defenseless. Yeah. And they call that a foul against him. That's just bullshit. Like I can't believe that. I guess as a forward, like it just sucks because again the goalie gets covered again. The goalie gets the benefit of the doubt, and it's like, what am I supposed to do, man? Like, yeah. I'm literally flying in the air. Like I can't, yeah. I can't control myself. It's just so frustrating. Um, yeah, those were the. I mean, those were like the big ones. I think like the Odegaard one. Yeah, it was it was tight. Again, it would have changed the dynamic of the match. First ten minutes of the game, Arsenal would have been up one nil instead of how it ended up playing out with them becoming their. Uh, suffering their first loss of the season at the hands of the Red Devils, Manchester United, who seem to be rolling now under, under two. Oh my God, I almost said Ragnick and <laughs> under Ten Hag. Um, four wins on the hop, three wins, or four of those wins actually are all with Maguire starting on the bench. Yep. I don't know if you guys see him, you saw him come in as a sub in this game. He got a yellow I, card, yeah, got a yellow card right a, away. Almost a PK against him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what a fucking goof. <laughs> um, but 3 1 win for Manu. I mean, this is like their first yeah. game we'll, we'll talk about where it actually came down to more of the footy and not just, uh, you know, officials, you know, changing the outcome of the game. Um, a, good, a good win. Yeah. Like it's really solid. A, a home match against Arsenal, a, another derby match between Man U and Arsenal. 
going back in the years of of Vanger and Alex Ferguson. There's a huge rivalry here in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both teams always seem to show up for it. But this game here, it's Arsenal did seem like they had more uh, possession. They had more opportunities, but Manu converted when they had to. And the two Manu goals towards the end of the match, they were like three balls. They were, you know. I was like odd man rushes. They were like a two on no because Arsenal was pushing the last 15 minutes of the game. Obviously, trying to claw one back and make it two two. So the third indecisive goal to solidify the win. A nice pass from Ericsson to to Rashford to get a second goal in the match. There was obviously like a nice build up play by United, mm-hmm. but you can't really say like Man U dominated this game. I don't think. I think they just took mm-hmm, more right. advantage of the opportunities than Arsenal did. Yeah, and it it was good to see uh, Anthony coming in. Um, like we talked about yes, last yeah. pod, uh, we didn't know too much uh, about him uh, coming into Manu, but way to shut us up. Uh, yeah, scored <laughs> scored in his debut. Really like the Selly, uh, passionate uh, first goal for him. Um, and Ronaldo on the bench. Um, but obviously, was really happy to see him score. Uh, so hopefully it's a uh, good signs for Manu uh, coming from what was a really disappointing start to the season. Uh, but sitting fifth right now um, with uh, Brighton uh, just ahead of them and Chelsea behind them. Um, so having a lot of success, and I think it's obviously what the Manu fans want to see. But uh, this is the direction I think they got to be going into winning these big games. Um, you know, they beat Liverpool, they beat Arsenal, which uh, is absolutely massive for them. So if they can keep their consistently, we've always talked about how that's been their issue. Uh, throughout the years is, you know, they win these big games and, you know, take a stroll down to some bottom table team and then lose that game. So the consistency, I think, is gonna, is what's going to give a lot of comfort to uh, the Manu faithful. So we'll, we'll see how the next few weeks develop. But if they can keep this up, then compete for Champions League. I think it's going to give a lot of uh, hope for, for Manu and, and Ten Hag. Yeah, I mean, looking <laughs> looking at the way the top six have been competing, like who's going to make top four now? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool for me. I don't know I, what's I going don't on. even know what's going on. I don't Liverpool. know what's going on at Liverpool right yeah, now. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a little bit um, after this match, I think. But like, yeah, I, I did not think I, I, I don't think it's all Mane leaving. Um, obviously, that's a huge loss for them. But if if they did not. It, from what it seemed like from my perspective, Mane wasn't the player that was making the difference f- for you competing for the title and not being in Champions League. I don't know what's going on at the club right now, but they're just dropping points. I mean, they're, they almost have enough draws and losses right now this this uh, campaign like mm-hmm. they did in the whole of last few seasons. So they just got to figure it out. I mean, Klopp's got to rally the boys and do something because this is uh looking pretty grim right now yeah in their defense i think they have had um like a little injury spell going through the midfield there yeah Mm -hmm. Um, i don't think tiago's played too much um who else is missing out there um there's another player i think fabinho like this is his first game back Um, yeah so fabinho's been out tiago's been out um henderson and milner they're not as sprite as they used to be obviously they're not going to be there to contribute like they have in the past i don't think as much mm-hmm. um but yeah it's the middle of the pit oh keda navi keda yeah. he's been injured as well so that whole middle middle core that liverpool was so i mean like last year they were healthy like this year they're not healthy last year they were healthy right like tiago was a huge impact last year coming in 
Um, Keita was like just solid whenever he played. Fabinho was just a force, whether he played in the midfield or in the defense. So missing those three guys at this beginning crucial part of the season, I think it has hurt them a little bit. I think they are trying to. Well, I think they did sign um, somebody recently. Yeah, uh, who was, was it? it? Um, oh, Artur, Artur yeah. from from Juve. So they just brought him in on the last transfer day of the season. Uh, a couple of days ago, I, so I think that done that deal is done. He's ready to get suited up for Champions League coming up midweek here, and probably for the uh, remainder of the season, depending on how he's gonna perform physically. And I mean, I think at Juve he didn't really play too much. I think he did had an injury spell last year too. So I mean, he still has a great potential. He's a pretty, you know, um, consistent player on on Barcelona when he was there. So maybe bringing him into the side can help them out a little bit. Um, offensively to be more of a creator, more of a facilitator for them. And then whenever Thiago does come back and whenever Keita does come back, that'll just, you know, shrub up that core. But we're talking about Man U right now, aren't we? Liverpool. We're talking, okay, so we're talking about Liverpool then. I was going to say with Man U, uh, looking at their transfer market for this season, they spent they spent $261 million. Or, yeah, dollars. This, this is in U.S. dollars on this website. $261 million on four players. So if you don't show up, <laughs> yeah, like if you don't contribute, and the players that they spend the money on, Malakia, I think you pronounce his name. I mean, he's been playing basically every game left back for them. Mm-hmm. Martinez has been solid as hell, being Maguire's replacement yep. as center back. Casemiro, he's come on as a substitute the last couple of matches. He hasn't had his first start yet, but we haven't really seen him uh, be like his full potential yet, I don't think. But I'm sure he'll get into more crucial matches and he'll probably be, you know, the starting center back along Fred or McTominay once, or starting defensive midfielder along Fred or McTominay when it comes time. And then Anthony getting his first goal of the year on on his first start of the season. Yeah, those are four players that are going to directly impact your side. And I mean, I it must be Ten Hag and his staff that are pulling the strings on these deals. So if he's coming in, and like we touched on it last podcast episode, if you're coming in and you're bringing guys just to play fan service and just to buy big name players or just to buy some guys to say. Oh, look what we did in the transfer market. That's one thing, but to yeah. spend two hundred and sixty plus million dollars on four impactful players that are going to come into your team, produce you four wins on the hop, playing this new strategy, playing these guys in the positions that they should be playing in, and you're getting results. That's a good manager. Yeah, that's that's what you have to do. That's that's an overhaul of the team. That's taking the mistakes of what past managers have been doing at Man U with the likes of Mourinho, Solskjaer, and Ragnick. I guess you want to give him that if he was a past manager or a failed manager. Um, taking what they've done, trying to erase that, start from like scratch, start fresh, start new, and they're basically creating this rebuild while they're being competitive, which are two very difficult things to do. Right. Chelsea kind of tried to do that with Lampard um, when they had their their um, their transfer ban a couple years ago. He was playing like a lot of the young guys, like Reese James was like the first team player in his like first season with the new with the club being brought up. Same thing with like Mason Mount and those guys. And he actually made Champions League, yeah. Um, in his first year as manager with Chelsea, which no one saw that coming. I thought they're going to be maybe Europa League at best. So to be able to do a rebuild and be successful and competitive, that's a really, really good signs of a manager. And I think Ten is going to just again kind of slide right into that role at Man U because what he does is he brings young players in and can like grow them, right? Yeah. Like he's like he's a grower. He was at Ajax for as, as long as he was, and then being as successful as they were. He's really used to bringing in players at a young, youthful level, developing them, selling them off for big money while winning championships still. 
Yeah. Like if you if you're at Ajax and you sell your first or your top three or four players for like big profit, but then you win that next season with a new core of players, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And so that's if, if you can do that here at Man U at the biggest level there is in the EPL and contend for Champions League and whatever, we'll see how they do Champions League uh, when it kicks off this week. If you're doing that, all that, then like kudos to you, man. Like that's that's a hell of a job. Yeah, and that that's what's always been impressive about uh, those kinds of teams, you know, like Dortmund, um, Ajax, where they they're kind of known for developing these players and selling them off, and still being competitive. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, because you have players that you know they'll be at these clubs, but their dream is to go to Man City, to Real Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona. To Bar- well, you know, Maybe. Barcelona still <laughs> Maybe, <yeah. laughs> for some players, I guess. Bayern Munich. Uh, yeah, it's Munich. And the fact that y- y- in the back of your mind, you kind of know that these players uh, might leave um, and still developing a team to be competitive is, I think, really impressive. So he's doing something there. It's It's been working these last four games, obviously. Uh, I I really like him. I think he could be the guy for Man U. Um, bearing any disasters that happen. Uh, and it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's really good to see them good again. Uh, would like to see if they can compete for Champions League and get back there. Um, I think I think you can just solve a, a lot of the issues they're having. Um, they got their Europa League match coming up against Real Sociedad um, midweek. Uh, so <laughs> they're playing they're, sheriff. They got that. The, they are playing sheriffs <laughs> in Europa yeah. League. They're playing sheriff in oh, the Europa League. Here sheriff. we go. We're sheriff podcast again. Sheriff's winning that game. Yeah. So we'll, not because it's Man U, but because it's sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to definitely. Oh, and they're playing at home, at the Bolshoya Sportinova, Sportinovaya Arena. Call it. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to see what the is outcome sh- of that is. is sheriff getting that out of that group? That's that's gonna, what, when is that? September twelfth. Twelve thousand people stadium. When was that game? September 15th. 15th, yeah. Okay, September 15th, marketing calendars, Sheriff against Manchester United <laughs> in the Europa League. Uh, Sheriff with those uh, with that historic win against Real Madrid. Uh, last season. Their, yeah, in the last season for Champions League. They could, Sheriff could get out of this group. Yeah. Yeah, shout they out Real Madrid. Shout they can beat anybody, right? Yeah. They can, yeah. I can show, but... One uh, one thing I wanted to see with those uh, transfer fees, where you know, uh, Manu playing paying a hundred million for Anthony, seventy uh, something million for Casemiro, and sixty two for Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, what's still very interesting is the fact that Erling Holland, which I think I want to get to now, costs less than all those players at fifty million. Why is that? Like how'd that happen? I. Th- I think I it was think the end of his contract. It was approaching the end. Yeah. So it's just less. Yeah, because I, I think that's like a good bargaining chip. It's like, hey, like you can sell them to us for fifty million, or we're gonna wait till next year and get them for free. I think that's. Oh, okay. I think that's yeah. usually how it goes. Um. So. So. Yeah. Touching on Erling Holland, fifty million in Man City is just taking the Premier League by storm right now. Yeah. Yeah. Ten, uh, ten goals, right? Ten, ten goals in six games broke. Uh, I have I I'd never even heard of this. Mick Quinn, 
Uh, December Shout 19, out, 1992, uh, was the only player uh, before Erling Haaland to score 10 goals in his first six Premier League appearances. Um, Erling Haaland also got his second hat trick uh, midweek against Nottingham to get nine goals in his first five games, which uh, broke a Premier League record. No player has ever done that before. Uh, he beat out Aguero, uh, and I forget who else, at eight goals. Um, yeah, six goals, ten games, um, two hat tricks. Uh, ten goals, six games. Ten goals, six games. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just breaking a bunch of Premier League records. He has more goals himself than a lot of uh, Premier League teams do. I always, <laughs> I always kind of find, I personally, I don't really care about those kind of stats. You're on like the top team, and you're expected to be the goal scorer. You have other teams that are struggling, which is always going to happen in the Premier League. So that stat doesn't always mean a whole lot to me. Um, but yeah, up, he has Jesus more Christ. goals than the bottom ten teams, and <laughs> tied with Leeds for goals total. And more goals than Chelsea. And Chelsea. And Manu. And Manu. Um but yeah, he's just he's just a beast. I mean, he, he has the the most goal to touch uh ratio with as little touches uh a goal. I think it's around like fifteen touches. So the fact I mean, we've seen it how many times, like he does not touch the ball for twenty minutes and then his first touch is a goal. Mm-hmm. Um he's just always in the right spot in the box. Um and he's just delivering. I mean, this is probably the best I've seen a player come into the the EPL and just perform. I mean, yeah, there's nothing you can really say that's negative about his game right now. Who's his comparable? Is he? Is it like Zlatan? I think Aguero. He's no, but I mean like his like his playing style. Like oh, like Lewandowski like. Honestly, he's a combination, like I said, Aguero and um, I would say Zlatan, combination of those two, Um, just because Aguero was like a really good box striker, someone who could take the ball and like just make a goal out of nothing or just, oh, he was always in the right spot and Holland's that kind of way, but Holland's like six and a half feet tall and like giraffe legs. <laughs> I, think like six and, I thought you were saying six and a half feet taller than Aguero. <laughs> That's <laughs> what they're going to say. Not quite. I was like, oh, not close. Yeah, not just, far, I mean. Yeah, it's it's crazy. He's he's just a beast. Um, And what's, because I know there was all that speculation, oh, he's going to adapt to the Premier League and all this stuff, but it's like I've heard one of the, like he's just one of those players that was going to make it work. Um, I mean, it's easy to say that now, hindsight's twenty twenty, but um. I think what's really impressive is how uh, Man City's has adapted some of their playing style to him, which is good. I mean, it's like we were saying last year; it's exactly what they needed. They didn't have they didn't have someone like that to just always be in the box to w- get these head ball goals or like get around in, into the right spot. He just they didn't really have a poacher, to be honest. And so I think hopefully he's going to be the clincher to help him finally win Champions League. We'll see, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with. I mean, I I said I said it first, but there's Latan comparison, like 100. percent I agree with that. But then also make a little bit of like Vanisteroy, because mm-hmm. he just knows, like yeah. said too, like he yeah. just knows where to be. Like he just, yeah. like he said, he gets his goal to touch ratio is so small because he just gets goals and it's like it's inside the six yard box, like yeah. a tap in or a header or yeah. again just like a rebound and just in the right spot, right time. But yes, you have to kind of get lucky sometimes. But he just. Like he mentally knows where to be on the field. Like he yeah. just yeah. He, like we've seen it in the in the goal 
Um, I think from the path that De Bruyne made a couple games ago. I think it was in the in the Newcastle game where like he just like felt like just shielded off the defender. Yeah. Oh, oh no, it yeah. wasn't Newcastle. It was um, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. Like yeah. that that pass was like legendary from Gundogan. Actually, was it Gundogan or yeah, Gundogan? Oh yeah, okay, what yeah, Gundogan put it through on him? Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. just great great pass, but. To be able to make that run and see that vision, I think his first game of the season actually is that other one that he made. He just put his head down and was on a full-on sprint yeah. before the ball is even played. That is just so smart, and like that's such a pleasure to watch because it's like again, you're watching a person at the top of his game playing at the highest level he can and performing like week in week out. Yeah, like we've seen it with like I don't want to say like LeBron James, but like we've seen it with basketball like like LeBron James when he's on, he's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Like in hockey, Sidney Crosby, and he went. Sidney Crosby was on his game; he's unstoppable. And like Haaland, yeah, he's got ten goals in six matches, um, like a huge, you know, achievement to to have. And like, I don't see him slowing down. That's the thing. Like, he's just gonna pick up more pace. Yeah, he can get fifty goals this year. Yeah, yeah. I would really, if he like keeps this up, and he has a crazy like forty, forty five goal season, all competitions in Champions League too. Uh I I can see him for Blonde Or for yeah. sure if he keeps this up. I mean, yep. he's doing everything right. His hold up play, you know, they're just like they'll put balls in to to his feet or and he's just holding off defenders, laying it off. Um he's just the most efficient striker I think I've ever seen in a long time in the EPL. Yeah. yeah. Since like also, yeah, maybe since like Drogba or something for me. Yeah, like when yeah. Drogba, like again another player when he was in his prime at Chelsea, he just like fucking dominated. Yeah, I'd see him. I, I think if I'd pick one player like in total, I'd probably pick Drogba to compare him to. Mm-hmm. I think he could be that kind of player for Man City, um, which would be great. I mean, they they already had a legend in Aguero, so it'd be crazy if Howland comes in and he's like another one. And Aguero, who? <laughs> like, yeah. you imagine? Yeah, like just in like a couple in like five years from now, it's like who the hell's Aguero? But that's what that's what because Aguero was so like. He was so clinical for them, like mm-hmm. twenty easily twenty plus goals, um, and then he, he just went left, obviously, and like they didn't really replace him, and they tried to play this false nine, which they did a decent job of, but tough to. Uh, I mean, they won the league, and they almost you know got to the semifinals of Champions League, but now they got Holland, so actually they lost a final Champions League, lost semifinal, they lost a final. Well, against Chelsea yeah. two years ago. Yeah, don't forget that. Last year <laughs> last year was the semifinal. Don't forget that, Joe. <laughs> it didn't. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with Holland uh, in Champions League. But, you know, I think they, they obviously strengthened their squad from last year, and last year they won. So I would expect nothing less from this year in terms of the Premier League. Yeah, I think even for me, they're sitting second right now behind Arsenal. Um, they're still the only team to have not lost a game along with Tottenham. Uh, with Arsenal picking up their 3-1 loss to Man U. Uh, I still have them for winning this year. I think just their consistency that I think they're going to be able to keep up uh, is going to kind of outrun, I think, most everyone this season. Um, But they got a a big game coming up against Tottenham uh, in the league, uh, which is going to be huge, again, with them being the two teams that haven't lost yet. Uh, I I just see Howland scoring again. I mean, I I do hope uh to see 
if he can go on his run to beat uh, Vardy's record with scoring eleven, uh, scoring in eleven consecutive games. Oh yeah, because uh, Vardy holds that record right now, which uh, I can definitely see Helen Helen beating. So they got that game in the league. They have a Champions League game against Sevilla on Tuesday. Yep. Uh, and they're going to start their Champions League run. So uh, we'll see what the defending champs can muster up here. Because, uh, again, like we've talked about a lot, Champions League has been the thing that they, that's been eluding them all these years. It's, uh, yeah. it's what, the, what the fans want. Um, this could be their year, though, I think. Well, I mean, just you just add the best striker oh. in Europe to your team. Well, <laughs> and Alvarez. Santos showed me a meme. Yeah, and Alvarez, too. He's, he scored two, I think, on the weekend. He scored, yeah. he scored two against Nottingham. On the, uh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, in midweek. Yeah. We'll when see. there's midweek games, my mind just like gets jumbled together. I'm like, which one is which? Yeah. I, I just watched the highlights of that game of that game on Saturday, I think, before the Man City game. So I'm like, okay, I saw the highlights of that game Saturday, but they played it like Wednesday. Yeah. But then they had a game Saturday. I'm like, oh my god, what's going on with my head? Yeah, I mean, when your when your new striker gets a hat trick, second game running, your other striker who you brought in gets two, and then your left back just scores a screamer. No big uh, deal. You're no just flying deal. high as a team. Yeah. I think the one thing, I, they do have this thing, though, and we saw it in the um, the game over the weekend where they tied. Um, They just don't, they have this thing where if someone misses a chance, they just get in this run where they keep missing very good chance to score. Mm. Um, I, I Like Pep said, they do have to be a little bit more clinical outside of Howland. Like, I do feel like sometimes they need to, f- like outside De Bruyne, Holland, maybe Foden, um, Mares, and like some of the other guys, they do need a quite a few chances to score. They need their team to create a few chances. I would, and even De Bruyne last game, like I would have liked him to put the game away when he was inside the six on like the volley. Oh yeah, that. I mean, those are the kind of chances where they do have to be like a little bit more clinical because they really should have won. Like. Yes, it was a nice goal by Aston Villa, but they do have to put those games away. Well, yeah, Kyle Walker had a chance. And yeah, started a game in in on goal, could have slid it to Holland. And how many times? Even Foden's done this, where easily put it across for a tap, and no question, Walker goes in, tries to just smash one yeah. in the net, totally misses the net from six yards away. And like you could say, like <laughs> Holland scored afterwards, but like if you go ahead ten minutes into. <laughs> Yeah, like Santo does to Andrew all the time. <laughs> I didn't say it. Um, I didn't say it. But like, you get that goal ten minutes in, it gives you way more time to get a second one. Yeah, and you're yeah, not yeah. left with getting scored on the seventieth minute. So, and it's honestly that's that kind of attitude. I don't know where it comes from. I I would imagine Pep is drilling it in them. Like, you guys have to focus on putting the game away before you start being selfish. Yeah. But that's the reason they lost the tie to Real Madrid in the semifinals of the Champions League last year. I, I mm-hmm. know the first leg ended, what was it, 5-4? Mm-hmm. But City had very clear-cut chance to literally get seven goals against Real Madrid. Like, three-on-one against a defender or, like, two-on-0 against the keeper and just Mars or someone being selfish instead of squaring it for a tap-in. I have no idea where this attitude is coming from, but to be honest, if I, like, if I was Pep and I saw that, I would tell them, like, you guys want to keep doing this. This is why we didn't get to the Champions League final last year. So this has to be corrected or we're going to keep, like, not getting to the final. Like, I don't know what I have to do with you guys, but, like, you have to get it out of your heads. Because yeah. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to go another year not winning Champions League because you guys want to be selfish in front of the net and put yourselves over the team first. Uh, 
I mean, I do realize as a goal scorer, you have to be a little bit selfish, but you're a professional. You should have the self-awareness to understand like where the game is at, what position you're in. Okay, we should probably put this game away. Yeah. So that's and, what I would say. <laughs> and Guardiola's even said, like, they can't win Champions League if they're solely relying on Holland. Yeah. Like, they, they have to. And, you know, if any team's going to do it, it's it's Man City. You know, yeah. they're known for... Secondary to, scoring. Yeah, you know. Secondary, so, third dairy, fourth dairy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, everyone can score on yeah. their team. Yeah, collectively. Because that's the thing. They haven't had, like, a striker be, like, the sole talisman since Aguero. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh, goals by committee for the last four or five seasons, basically. Yeah. Around either Sterling and then Foden, De Bruyne, Gundogan. Like I think Gundogan had like, the most goals for them last year or something. Uh, Maybe Jesus. Uh, I think it was Mars was their leading scorer, but I think last year? I, I think that was in all competition. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but whatever it is, like they they can easily have five guys in double digits by the end of the year. Yeah. Agreed. At least. Mm-hmm. And then Holland, they could even do that this year with five guys getting at least eight goals. And then Holland can get thirty-eight goals. Yeah. And. And that's what it what it takes to be the best for for the years to come. I was gonna see how you see how fired up Joe is getting talking about Man City. Yeah, I think that's uh, the most, well, most passionate I've seen Joe I talk think, on this podcast. I think because I think it's because like, how many times I've done it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, to be fair, if I'm gonna be selfish, I'm gonna be selfish inside the eighteen. If I'm in the six. I think I've still been selfish well, in, the, a few times. in the six. <laughs> I don't. You, th- I've had you have I, the ball in the six. You I think it's. Just, I don't think I've. I don't think I've had an opportunity to be selfish in the six. Better deposit especially, that, especially this year. I think it's just the CDM in me where it's just like I. That guy's clearly open in a way better position than me. I think it's just an attitude of like putting the team first and understanding. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of them do. Um, you're also you, not in. You're not involved in that realm of like the game too that much right yeah like, like you do like it's gonna be tough to be a defender because it's like you do all you can let's just say to like solidify like a you know a, a clean sheet for your team yeah but then you sit back and you watch 18 missed opportunities miss and it's like boys come on like i like i'm doing everything i can back here to, like to not get scored on just put one in yeah like i know like for our team and in, in our in our league that we play in it's gotta be hard too because we've had a pretty decent goals against record i mean we got blown out a couple a couple times but for the most part the games that we have they're pretty tight it's yeah. like we just couldn't score yeah so it's, it's like you're sitting there back there like defending your ass off and then we get like 25 chances to score a goal and we don't get any of them does that suck yeah because i think it just comes <laughs> down to being a little bit more clinical around the box you have to know like when to shoot or when to like you have to be as aware around the box as you are around like your own box when you're getting pressed by attackers and be able to have pressure on you and see the pass or see the shot, which is lacking. (laughs) I think think is lacking a bit. Um, I can attest not having any goals. I think you have to see it like in the same way, like when before, especially around the box, you have to see like before you receive the ball where the pressure is coming from. It's like, hey, when I get the ball, should I take a touch here and take a shot, or square it and put it outside so they can whip a ball into the box? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's you have to like deep. know the play ahead before it happens. Yes, like you have to know what you're going to do already. Yeah, it's instinct, right? Yes, but you can't teach that. Well, I mean, you, I mean, bit. you can you can teach if you're one on one with the goalie and you can square it to someone for a tap, and you should probably square it to the person for the tap. And yes, you should. There's there's no benefit. Even if that's the thing. Even if you score, like it's one of those. Okay, you better have scored. So good job. But if you don't score, it's like like what are you doing? 
Yeah, you stink. Yeah. What, like, uh, what are you doing? What scenario sticks in your mind the most? Where do I begin? No, with you, you just you take silly shots sometimes. There's a well in the past. I have this year. Yeah, this. Well, I'm not talking about this year. This year, <laughs> this year's a write off for everything. This year has been a tough one for the the Polonia White Eagles. Zero zero goals for I, me. To be torn fair. torn Achilles for this guy. Me injury. Before killer. we get into this, I was selfish once where I could have squared the Santavar tap in, but granted, we were up five nothing, and it was the 90th minute, and I haven't scored in five years. And what I, happened? I missed. <laughs> but I mean, that's what. And I. To, it's like, oh, Joe, you missed. And I told. I went to the coach. It's like. If that was at any other, I told him because I know what he was probably thinking. It's like I told Pedo, I was like, if that was any other point in the game and we were not at 5 nothing, and I also didn't do it because it was Santo. I was like, whatever, he's not going to care that much. <laughs> I was like, if which it, is fair. If it wasn't Santo, it was the 90th minute and we weren't at 5 nothing, I would have passed it, but I haven't scored in a while. <laughs> so. I mean, you can, yeah, you got that on him. Yeah. Because I knew, I knew, I was aware of all the factors and I was like, I'm still going to shoot. So you had, that's probably what it was. That's probably why you missed because you play all the factors in your head and then you're like, oh fuck, I got to shoot the ball now. Yeah, that's exactly why I was like, over the net. It makes the most sense to shoot right now and I missed. Uh, Which game is this? That was Windsor Soccer Club, I think. Over the net? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From like four yards away. No. Yeah. It was really really bad finish. High school Um, memory. That tournament, yes, it's a night game against Windsor Soccer Club. Uh, I think last too. year with Kabo- or Charo. So you were on one, you were feeling it in the night game. Yeah, yeah. Night game do they, they do that to us? Yeah, we have a night game tomorrow actually. We do. Sunday's last well, chance to score. Last chance to score outside the Polonia tournament this, this year. This season, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a rough year. Don't really know what's happened. Scored first game of the season. Game ended up not counting, and uh, haven't it. really had a sniff a goal. Had a few like. <laughs> you, had had, you also had two breakaways. No, I, well, okay. I haven't had a sniff. I haven't okay. had a sniff at goal. Also, I had two breakaways that you missed, or one. No, okay, missed. sorry. The one, one breakaway break- I missed. The other two, I got red carded because the guy just tackled me from the yeah. back. Yeah, the breakaway. Not a sniff at goal. <laughs> Cancel that one out of my. Uh, you had more than a sniff. <laughs> Try to think of something else. Like bigger. What's bigger than a sniff? Um, in- you had an inhale. <laughs> full mouth inhale you I had goal. a full mouth inhale of, of multiple chances um, alright we're just going to wrap it up uh, <laughs> midweek games yeah like we touched on Champions League starts for this uh, this calendar season um, who do we got Man City has Sevilla like we said Tottenham faces off against Marseille Chelsea goes up against Milan I think actually in their first match um, nope Dino Zagreb um, and their first game in Liverpool, see if they can get a little bounce back against Napoli. It's going to be a tough one. They're going against probably their hardest um, test in the group in game one, and then they have Ajax too. So we'll see Ten Hag's replacement at Ajax, and whoever they got going there can go against Liverpool on uh, the 13th of September. But that's your um, well, that's that's the midweek stuff for for Champions League, and then as far as matches go for the EPL for the weekend. Uh, Chelsea Fulham. Uh, that's another London derby back in the in a, another London derby. I guess say like the fifteenth one probably. <laughs> um, that's the early game for Saturday, and yeah, the premier match would probably be like Man City Tottenham. Yeah, that's a twelve thirty match on Saturday. I'm getting a little sick and tired, by the way, of Man City getting every twelve thirty game. You, why you're not a fan twelve thirty? No, I just suck. Well, I mean, it's like it's like they get that one game. It's like that's the one time slot. Like, why is it supposed to go to Man City? They either get that game or they play Sunday. 
Uh, I do. I guess it's like why because they won the league. Like they get well, like fucking. And I do think it's also times. it's priority of where you are in the league too. Because when when Leicester was top of the league, they would always get the later game on Sunday. They had the Merseyside derby at seven thirty in the AM for us. I think because I don't know. That's weird. I think because Liverpool was kind of yeah, but it's the bottomish mid table, and so was Everton. I don't know. I, I that's what I do think with the schedule. Well, they don't they don't flex it. They don't do it like they don't change the times like week to week. Like the times are already set. These ones are set? Oh, yeah. Well, look at the times. Hello. Like, they're already here. Nah, those are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, those are the weekend matches. Uh, I'll probably have to tune in. Yeah, the, the Man City Tom definitely a big one. Arsenal and Everton, they were the last game of the season last year. Um, it almost came down to that to see if Everton were going to be safe in the EPL, <laughs> which I think they lost that game too, didn't they? Which one? Arsenal Everton last season, the last uh, game of the year. Think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Arsenal won like five one. Oh, yeah. Well, think there it is. Yeah. The the Everton was safe. Uh, at that yeah, point. but I'm saying it could have came down to that. Like that's yeah. That's how you still perform your last match of the season. Um. So yeah. Other than that, I think we're good. I think we're good. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for listening. This will be up on YouTube. This will be on podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, hit us up on Twitter too and on Instagram. That's starting to grow a little bit more. I think we have like seven thousand views eh, in one of our videos on Instagram. Uh, is that the one where we talk about menus sitting at the bottom of the table? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we put that up on an Instagram account under it's on our Reels page. Um, we got seven thousand plus views on that. That's pretty cool for us. Yeah. Um, so you guys want to hit us up on there? It's at Footy Fans. P H A N S is how fans is spelt. Um, yeah. We good. We're good. good. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as always, we will catch up after next week's action. See you, everyone. See you. Ciao.